Welcome to Charity Chat. I'm your host, Samuel Davies. In this episode, we speak with friend of the show, James Atkins, about well-being and co-creation. While these two subjects may sound different, they are connected by James's experience of working to build effective efforts to deliver projects and campaigns. This episode of Charity Chat has been brought to you by our Platinum sponsor, Work for Good. Work for Good believes everyone should be able to turn the work they do into good. Through their fundraising platform, they offer charities the way to engage and work with small businesses, including founders, owners and sole traders who want to make an impact for charities through their sales. To find out more, please visit workforgood.co.uk. So without further ado, here is friend of the show, James Atkins, speaking about well-being and co-creation. I'm delighted to be joined by friend of the show, yes. James Atkins, Indeed. project director at First and Project. Indeed, I That's am. right, isn't it? Yes. It is right. You're correct. Well done. Welcome back. We haven't <laughs> spoken. Well, we've been in touch, but we haven't Ooh. spoken on the podcast for a long time. December 2019, actually. Um, yeah. When the world was a very different place. Pre-pandemic, yeah. yeah. It's just like, it seems like another time, definitely. How what what have you been up to for the last three years? Oh, I mean, where do we begin? So yeah, so shortly after our conversation, I joined um, a charity called Attacks UK. Mm-hmm. Um, part of that was working, and it's linked into our conversation today, is around well-being. So it yep. was the In Control Project, which was to decrease feelings of social isolation and increase feelings of well-being. Um, I was only in that post for about six weeks, and then obviously we had the good lockdown started. Oh, my um, gosh. Uh, you know, which was challenging itself, and I'm sure lots of people have talked about this before, um, but very much so we just kind of tilted what we were going to provide mm. um, and seeing what we could actually engage with people digitally. So things like um, we had a TV discussion group, which was uh, quite interesting on some of the shows we had, uh, Drag Race, um, some musical numbers as well. Also looking at films from yesteryear, so really engaging with all our members. Um, we also had a murder mystery night. So all these kind of activities to kind of get people feeling connected with each other. Was that the kind of idea? You know, very much so. The Murder Mystery Night, for instance, was the cheapest thing I've ever done because I just got an episode of Death in Paradise, uh, paused it at the appropriate moment, and they basically got people to make a guess. And it was a little fundraiser about um, and who was the murderer. So, and yeah, we raised, I think it was about a couple of hundred quid, actually, on that event. Nice. Um, And I guess that that whole, the premise there was, it was about well-being, wasn't it? It was that a large part of the work. So, yeah. yeah. So it's, whether that's, and again, it's looking at those different aspects, but obviously we focused a lot on the emotional and the social connection, but then also on the physical side as well. So we did a, um, a program around speech therapy, linking in with Strathclyde University. Right. Um, and actually they had tried to do it digitally before, but nobody could really quite engage with it. And I think, mm. you know, not that we'd ever want the pandemic, but one of those benefits was that people just kind of had to engage with it. Mm. Um, even the sector as a whole included. Um, and very much so actually, I went on a training course up in, uh, during this time in Manchester. Well, I, I say Manchester, I was doing it virtually, but how you engage with people virtually. Um, because it is so important to understand that 
you know, you might be an engaging person or you might do well in training or you might be good at presenting, but actually on a digital format, you have to amp it up even further. So you have to have a bigger smile. You have to have more expressions um, be a bit louder as well, because lots of people can't hear. That's always been the discussion on Zoom, isn't it? Can't hear anything. Um, so very much put that into practice. Um, and sometimes I felt a bit silly, to say the least, you know, sort of flapping my arms around in my in my home office. But, um, it, you know, it did do the trick. It kept people engaged in that. Because, again, the thing to understand with digital, when people are at home, they've mm. got their phones, they've got their children, they've got something around that maybe could distract them from actually the activity that you were doing. And so what was in that kind of training, was there a kind of a sense of, um, kind of less is more as well, though, in terms of time. I mean, is there a kind of like an optimum amount of time, do you think, to have a Zoom? Because I know that, you know, until fairly recently, mm. and actually on the podcast, we still haven't forked out for the, um, whatever it is, the kind Past of professional Zoom, you know. It's yeah. 40 minutes, that 40-minute cutoff. I wonder if, yeah. maybe it's just me, but on some level it kind of focuses me, you know, it keeps yes. me focused. Mm. I agree. I mean, and I think you're quite right. I mean, most of the sessions I ever ran, nothing was longer than an hour. Right. Um, because, you know, it, you're quite right because people lose attention. I mean, it's mm. always, I, I think I've said this before, but the classic line is always in training, you've got a five minute attention span. Now I'd right. say on video, it's even less. So oh, yeah. unless you've got like a video to back it up or maybe some slides or some mm. images or some engagement with somebody else, if you're talking for probably longer than three or four minutes nonstop, you're going to realise you've, you've switched people off. Um, and I think in the sector, we've all been in Zoom meetings or face-to-face meetings that, you know, when somebody has been talking and talking and talking, yeah, they're just not going to engage with you, really. It's just yeah, like yeah. And I, and think, I guess kind of getting people's people to kind of to respond to things mm, and getting people mm, kind of invested yes. in things yeah. and yeah, yeah, seeing definitely. different things on the screen is... Yeah, very much so when you're asking their opinions and actually even in in that space, you know, going around to everybody and, you know, sometimes people might not be comfortable, but Mm. just asking that one person, oh, what did you think? Um, Mm. Because, again, it keeps them engaged, keeps them motivated. Um, But also as well, so obviously I was doing that for about a year and nearly two years, actually. We also had a well-being debt. We were being weak, I should say. Um, So we had people from all over the world. We had stuff around mindfulness. Mm -hmm. Also something around hypnotherapy, which I actually found quite useful for myself. So mindfulness in itself, I'm sure everyone's heard of it, is about clearing your mind, finding a Zen space, thinking of nothing. Um, I have to be honest, that's something I struggle with living in Southeast London. There's always a distraction (laughs) somewhere. With hypnotherapy, and I might be uh, getting slightly wrong, but it's the idea of remembering a kind of good memory, whether that's a time on the beach, time with the kids, um, you know, first day at uni, whatever it might be, is actually something that you can focus on, remembering the sort of sights and the sounds and the colours and the smells. Yeah. And it's actually just a way of kind of, again, increasing well-being, but kind of finding, you know, a bit of calm, um, mm. because sometimes our, all our lives can be a bit hectic at moments. Um and so, yeah, so I did that for about, yeah, nearly two years. And now I'm at the First Down Project, which is an activity centre for over anyone age 50 and over. We like to call it the social hub for the over right. 50s, yeah. um, mainly for people throughout Wandsworth um, and very much focusing on those aspects of well-being, whether that's um, mental, psychological, social, emotional, spiritual even, mm. and also financial as well. Um, you know, that is, and I'm sure it's been talked on the podcast before, you know, financial is a big thing that some of our members are coming through because of obviously the cost of living um, and the concerns they have about that and the worry. Yeah. 
and yeah. the anxiety. And so part of that as well is we're doing sessions around mental health. Mm-hmm. So, you know, because a lot of times what I've noticed, not only from the First Down Project, but also from uh, the Attacks UK, there's a lot of what I call, I would say, PTSD from COVID. Right, okay. We've, you know, especially for vulnerable people, you've been told to stay in your homes. And, you know, actually, then afterwards, we just said, okay, it's all opened up now. It's all fine, sort of ish. Get on with your life. Get on with your life. And it's like, what does that mean when I spent Mm. two years kind of indoors watching, you know, um, The Weakest Link? So it's, yeah, there was some sessions on that. We did it with Mind. and is that about kind of bringing people back in to socialising again? Because I guess Hardly. that being told, yeah. do not see your family, do not see your friends, do not yeah. be face to face with anyone. Yeah. And then kind of, oh, it's all fine. I mean, it's still not all fine, is it, really? So not there's really. that kind of low-level yeah. residual anxiety about COVID. And well, understandably so. It's just like, I mean, a lot of people aren't, but I think actually it's never a bad thing. Um, we also had a disco as well, which is something, again, I've never really thought about in a charity setting. But um, people were saying that they've been indoors for two years. They haven't mm. really gone out at all. They wanted somewhere to go that actually they felt safe and secure. Um, so obviously with our project, everyone has been tested. We give out testing kits. You can wear masks if you so wish. And so, yeah, so I got, uh, you know, we had some disco dancing, which I, there were some videos of me doing it's kind that. kind of Saturday uh, Night Fever style. It so, was kind it? of a little bit like that, yeah. Nice. Um, those videos will never be made public, but uh, <laughs> yes. They, they all had a good time. And then also looking at different aspects as well of how to engage with different communities. So mm. um, we're looking at a BME writing group. Mm. We've also got uh, an LGBT, we've already got an existence actually, an LGBT group, which is mm. running for about five years now. And then, like I said earlier, yeah, more talks on kind of financial management and kind of anxiety as well, because I think anxiety is going to be a big theme, not only for our members, but I think in wider society as well. <laughs> Have you seen over the last couple of years with with the pandemic and everything, have you seen a, is there a sense that people desire more human connection or is there a sense that people feel they they should be, but are also scared to? Well, yes, I think a bit of both really, isn't it? Just that, I mean, we are all hardwired to connect in some way, shape or form. Now, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, that depends on what it is. It's just that, um, so I know some people actually, for example, the digital kind of in- uh, engagement was really useful because it meant they didn't have to maybe travel, not just because of COVID, but because of other vulnerabilities. And they could actually have that moment to engage and then switch off. But yeah, I'd say it's a mixture. I mean, even at the First Down Project now, we haven't really returned uh, to the numbers that we had before um, the pandemic. Um, and that's partly because people still just don't feel that comfortable of leaving the house and coming down to the centre, basically. We've mentioned, we've touched on kind of well-being, but if you don't mind me asking a very personal question, James, but kind of regarding your own well-being, what kinds of things, I suppose maybe what kinds of things have you learned from your work and, and then kind of used in your own personal life regarding well-being? Of course, no, very much so. I think certainly in the last two and a half, three years, um, it's the joys of, you know, doing any sort of activity, really. Um, mm. You know, and maybe I wasn't the most, uh, you know, active person to join in on everything that was going on, but certainly kind of trying to push these things forward and actually engaging with them myself. Um, it's the excitement of trying something new mm. and the excitement, but also the bit of the nerves as well. You know, that sort of butterflies in your tummy scenario. Mm. Um, I think I'm honest to myself to know that, you know, I think most people feel that from time to time. Um, 
also as well, you know, the endorphins it releases. So, you know, even doing armchair Pilates, never done Pilates in my life. And doing Pilates. <laughs> did you enjoy it? I did. I did. Uh, it was stretching in positions I hadn't done for a while, but, you know, it was good. Um, <laughs> and, you know, but actually those endorphins that that releases, mm. certainly in those sort of darkest moments of lockdown where, you know, you weren't, nothing was open, you weren't going anywhere, can make, you know, made a huge difference. Also as well about, and we said about social connection, but that shared laughter. So, you know, because um, actually there's so many studies on this about how it stimulates your heart, your legs, your muscles, releases those endorphins. But just having a shared laugh with people, you know, mm. whether it's a corny joke, whether it's something you found amusing. Um, again, I think not only for me, but for other people as well, I've seen the benefit of that and connecting with people. And I think the digital thing, the benefits therein of that is actually we were able to bring people together from all across the country that they would never have met. And I think, you know, there are pros and cons, obviously, for digital, you know, um, services. But, you know, seeing that as well, people having conversations they'd never heard of Huddersfield or they'd never heard of Southampton, talking about their different areas and where they live. Mm. I just thought, yeah, it was really useful. And then also as well, things like something I learned was just something around, you know, at the end of the day, saying, taking a moment to think, what's worked well? Um, and this can be the most simplest thing for me most of the time is when somebody says thank you um, or a shopkeeper might have looked at me or my hair looked very nice today. I mean, I'm being flippant, but it's the idea that actually what can you take one thing and there will, and I've done this exercise with so many people over the years and actually there's always one thing people can pinpoint. Um, whether it's a TV show they've liked, whether it's something, you know, something that you've enjoyed and to pinpoint that. And then partly what I've done in sort of the training discussions I've had is actually when you can identify that moment happening yourself. So rather mm. doing it at the end of the day, actually going, you know what, that my little girl's done a beautiful picture. I really like that. Or um, that, that was a good conversation with my boss, you know, and I, it sounds you know, it's flippant, but again, no, I... It's, I think it, it makes sense, doesn't it? It's, it's kind of a good, it's a good way of maybe kind of rewiring our brains a bit. Very much so. Certainly, you know, for me, myself, um, you know, I limit from amount, the amount of time I spend on the news because mm. certainly during lockdown, I mean, you could end up watching it all day. Certainly prime ministers changing, um, yeah. stuff happening in the, in the rivers, you know, there's all these mm. things happening. So mm. I've almost put a limit on it to like, what's just the headlines? You know, that's for me right now. And um, also as well about limits on social media. Now, I know this has been talked a lot about in the sector. I did a session with some students from USC last year, and they actually taught me how to put limits on your social media. So what it oh, does... Really? Yeah, you can do it. Um, so I'm a big fan of TikTok. You can actually it can set it for like 10, 15, 20 minutes. So I send it for 20 minutes, yeah. and then it comes up with this reminder, you need to switch off from TikTok now. Um, and you can do it with even your phone, for instance. Um, I set a sleepy time on my phone, so it goes grey after a certain time. Oh, month. okay. That's a good so idea. So then you don't really want to look at it anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, and again, you know, us oldsters, we just, I didn't know anything about this. It's just, uh, um, and certainly during lockdown, I was spending a huge amount of time on my phone. And I think, again, it's, you know, whether it's a book, whether it's a TV show, whether it's ringing up somebody, you know, to have a conversation. Um, you know, I really got into that during lockdown, which again, most people don't. We like to text or things like that. But, you know, I was very much keen on having a conversation with people. So, and again, it's finding those kind of tools. The other thing as well was, I think it's called Calm. And it's an app that you can pay yeah. for. But actually it does things like uh, mindfulness, relaxation mm -hmm. techniques when you want to sleep. So again, I found that quite useful again through lockdown.
And we're talking about uh, co-production of services today as well. What do you, what do we mean by this and, and why should charities consider this in their work? Mm, so, yes. And I think co-production is a, a term that's banded around quite a lot. Um, do I think everyone understands it? Well, I think, you know, there could be some work in the sector on this because obviously mm. it's around what I see co-production is a practice of delivery of either developing public services um, where the public are involved and you're using and you're developing something. There's an output from it. So whether that is obviously you could have surveys, steering committees, focus groups or development meetings. And, you know, very much so understanding that this is an equal partnership. And I think this is a lot of the sort of coaching I've done to others around this is understanding that obviously you're coming in as an organisation, the public are coming in as well. Mm. And actually, both views are just as valid as each other, because I think the power dynamics is quite important in that relationship to understand, because I've done a lot of sessions. I, there was a session once I saw where the chief executive came in. They did a big speech about how brilliant this idea was and everything that was right about it. And then they said, would you like it then? And that was, well, the answer will always going to be probably they're going to say yes. Because... That's, that's more asking for feedback, isn't it, I guess, than, than actually yeah. people buying into it and mm. developing it with you. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, and again, also being, you know, also understanding, is there any unconscious bias in relation mm. to um, what you're doing there? So, you know, in the format of the way you're setting it up, also as well about the language that you're using, even around the kind of promotion of maybe when you're asking people to come in for services. Um, and it's all, and you also you're treating this simply as a TikTok exercise. So again, I've seen it where people have done all the work and then either the funder, the commissioner have said, okay, you need to co-produce this or it's part of that bid. Okay, let's go and speak to some public or speak to two people that we already know mm. and we know what the answers they're going to give. Mm. Um, and, but, you know, and the benefits in it, though, and I think there are huge benefits of it, you know, to try and make when you make it work is that obviously you've got increased engagement in the work that you're doing so you know you and potentially as well from new audiences new voices in the work that you're doing also ensuring that you're fit for purpose so you know a lot of charities that might be running for several decades actually um, and you might be run, running existing services for a long time but you know is it still fit for purpose for 2022 mm -hmm. and I think being comfortable enough if people are saying oh, no this isn't the quite fit the right fit how do you redesign it with them and also understand to develop new areas also it's really good for funding bids um mm -hmm. you know funders really like it so you know certainly and if you're doing this at the beginning of a project where you're thinking about maybe applying for some funding or doing a pilot getting some co-production as part of that and even co-production throughout the duration maybe of the pilot mm -hmm. so you know steering i've had many steering committees from across sectors you know to actually group and that's important as well that you make sure it's diverse mm -hmm. in relation to what it's doing but again, making sure it's dynamic, it's creative and what you're trying to achieve. And also, you know, and the ways going about that as well, I think is really important. So again, wide promotion, you know, so it's not just on your Facebook page. Also, you know, have you got good leading times? So I've seen this a lot from local authorities around co-production, that there, it'll be a Friday afternoon and they'll be like, do you want to come to this session on Wednesday? Um, right. You know, and it's... Well, a lot of times, you know, people aren't going to really be able to make that, are they? Also as well, you know, can you make it a variety? So we've talked about this today, you know, can it be digital? Can it be face-to-face? -face? Can it be different times even? Because again, you know, if you're just doing it in working hours, then you're only going to be able to get the people that aren't working or don't have other commitments. Yeah. Um, and like I said, being open to hearing <clears throat> something uncomfortable. 
And I think, again, this is the sort of training coaching I've done with others that, you know, sometimes people will say things that you might not quite like or the organisation might feel slightly uncomfortable with. And it's okay to be in that moment. Um, you know, we don't want anyone being offensive or rude, but, you know, mm. if they're saying something that, you know, goes against what you're trying to do, and a lot, uh, quite a few people maybe are saying this, then you have to kind of, you know, open up and listen to that as well. And I guess w- when it comes to co-production, it's not necessarily about finding, always finding consensus, is it? But it's it's about understanding I suppose it comes back to kind of taking on the um, kind of the, the method of, of co-production and then thinking maybe, okay, some of these views aren't valid. I guess there's a kind of a process that has oh, to happen there. Oh, of course, there, right? of course. And it's, you know, and, and I think that is another consideration as well. It's a big part of this is making sure there isn't just one voice being heard, mm. whether that's from the staff team, whether that's a, a person that's just very vocal and making sure that all the peoples are heard. And actually, like you said, there isn't, there isn't always a one size fits all into your services. You know, there's always going to be someone per se that isn't necessarily agreeable to that. Um, And so again, that just takes practice and experience to understand, okay, well, we've we've understood what you're saying, um, but, you know, we're going to be going this way as well. In conclusion, you know, the world seems to be an ever challenging and frightening place. We've touched on that a little bit. Mm. How does your work help you to see the positive things that happen in our world and what are your hopes for the future? Mm. Yeah, that's an important question there, isn't it? It's just like, um, so I think as well, it's that understanding that um, taking the joy wherever you can, um, you know, and it sounds a little bit like an American infomercial, but, you know, it is important to kind of see those moments when they're coming and when they're arriving. Um, also as well, not important as well, not to disassociate from the world around us and what is happening, but, you know, a lot of times where that anxiety and that fear and that worry is coming from is a fear for the future. Because certainly right now, it does seem certainly within the UK, we're in an uncertain time. You know, and the thing is, you know, you can only focus on what you can do within the day. Mm. And certainly that's what I was doing in lockdown, because I think certainly like all of us, we're looking at these cases and these all these figures going up and, OK, what can I focus on today? What do I have control over that actually I can do and I can achieve? Still be aware of that if you need to be. Also as well, you know, putting on those records, what is the things that bring you that you enjoy? Mm. And it doesn't have to be the things that everybody else enjoys. You know, I'll, I'll be a bit humorous, but, you know, Love Island, it brings a lot of joy to a lot of people. Doesn't bring that to me. Um, and it's about <laughs> finding out. And I think, you know, that has been another, you know, not benefit, but certainly looking at this sort of well-being task of my work is seeing, you know, what benefits pe- things can bring. I mean, we at the moment at my current job, we have a radio discussion group where they listen to programmes from Radio 4 um, and then they discuss them. And issues around kind of, forgiveness and Mm. humiliation and things that I'll be honest I would never in a million years would have listened to but actually um you know it was really useful actually to hear other people's views and again that isn't what I'm saying earlier you know it's important to realize Radio 4 isn't for everyone a discussion group isn't for everyone it's about finding those things that you enjoy um and kind of taking those moments as you can and yeah try and blow out as much as you can at the uncertain future that we have. James Atkins Thank you for joining us again for Charity Chats. A pleasure as always, Sam. Thank you. Big thank you there to James Atkins for sharing his insights and knowledge with us here on Charity Chats. James talked about finding hypnotherapy and the help this has given him for his own well-being. 
Focusing on good memories to stay mindful and finding calm, especially during hectic periods, is something that many of us could benefit from. Uh, James talked about putting limits on social media channels also to help manage exposure to regular browsing and bad habits. Engaging with the world rather than witnessing it seems to be part of the solution to good mental health and well-being. And James talked about working virtually and the challenge that that poses. He made the point that any interactive virtual session should be short, sharp and energised. He talked about keeping people's attention by practising certain louder behaviours to engage and keeping it interactive. The benefit of virtual events for bringing people together from across a wider geographical area and giving both introverts and extroverts an opportunity to engage with each other in a meaningful way seems clear. That being said, it's clear also that like all tools, virtual meetings are only as good as the discipline and thoughtfulness of those who use them. James's view on co-creation uh, in the context of the practice of delivering public services where the public is involved was to identify that power dynamics exist first and foremost and need to uh, recognise um, these using the example of a CEO coming in and pushing an idea. Unconscious bias needs to be thought about when embarking on any co-creation projects. The benefit of increasing engagement in the work that is being done and diversity of thought and the possible benefits that this brings are both present in co-creation. And funders are increasingly looking for this approach as part of their criteria when it comes to supporting charity projects and work. So thank you dear listener for getting this far with us. We hope you enjoyed this episode of continue to enjoy the podcast we'd love to hear either way it's just left for me to thank our corporate sponsors uh, this episode of charity chat has been brought to you by our platinum sponsor work for good work for good believes everyone should be able to turn the work they do into good through their fundraising platform they offer charities a way to engage and work with small businesses including founders owners and sole traders who want to make an impact for charities through their sales to find out more please visit workforgood.co.uk also I'd like to thank Giant Squid Audio Lab for sponsoring our podcast kit, Magda Axmit for our beautiful website, check it out at charitychat.org.uk and of course Forrester Fools for playing throughout the show and for playing us out right now. That's it from me, keep on doing what you can, speak to you soon, cheerio, bye bye.